following sermon was delivered at the 1030 worship service at the United Methodist Church of Kent. Please enjoy. Just one week now after the story of five heroic women clearing the way for his birth and for his childhood, today, this morning, we find Moses now all grown up, but a little wandering and a little lost. Between last week's story and today's, after being raised in the palace of the Egyptian king, Moses ventured out of that comfortable place and finally, finally noticed the enslavement of the Hebrews by the Egyptians. Upon noticing that, in a fit of anger, Moses murders one of the Egyptians and then flees out into the wilderness out of fear of the king. And so today, as we read the story, we find Moses on the lamb. And actually, he's settling in pretty well. He's comfortable yet again, not in the Egyptian palace anymore, but now tending his father-in-law's flock instead. Until, suddenly, God's messenger appears to him in a flame of fire out of a bush. A bush, though burning, that does not burn up. I must turn aside and look at this great sight, Moses says. And so he does, turning aside from his newfound place of comfort, opening himself now in this moment to be called by God's voice, to be called by this voice that tells him to return to Egypt and to challenge the Egyptian king, to demand that the Hebrews be set free. Moses' discipleship journey begins in this moment of curiosity. I must turn aside and look. By the end of his life, I wonder if Moses realizes just how perfectly appropriate is this manifestation of God, that God comes to him, that God is made known to him in something that burns continually, an unquenchable fire that never dims, never dulls, never cools. For over time, as Moses will try after years and years and years to lead the people into liberation, he will learn over and over again that God's love for them never dies. No matter their refusal to do what is right, no matter how many times they turn away from what they had promised, God never becomes lukewarm about God's people. God's heart is broken by them again and again and again, but the flame of God's love is never extinguished. I have seen my people oppressed, God tells Moses. I have heard their cry of injustice. I know about their pain. That's the fire that burns in God's heart. A fire for justice, a fire for goodness and liberation, a fire for all God's children to live in love with each other and for all God's creation to be enjoyed rather than exploited. Like the fire in the bush, that is God's love that never dies, never cools, never goes out. It's a love that Moses is invited to share and that he will discover is hard to sustain. For it is hard to align our lives with so much passion, so much intensity, so much heat, without at least sometimes getting burned. A week ago, we heard Jesus inviting us to align our lives with God's life as fully as we are able, to be church, to be living expressions of God's love in our neighborhoods. In today's gospel, as we pick up that story, we find Peter, the rock upon whom Jesus promised to build the church. Peter now has become not a firm foundation for the church, but instead a stumbling block, threatening to trip Jesus up. For this work God calls us into, Not just Moses and Peter so many years ago, but each of us now, here today, 
This work of love, this, this gift and task of joining with God in seeing oppression and hearing cries of injustice and knowing others' pain and responding faithfully, this work is hard work, friends, and it is work that is never, ever done. It was true for Moses, certainly. From this moment at the burning bush onward, Moses' heart, aligned with God's heart, repeatedly will break and will burn. Moses will never know the relief of a job fully completed, never know the relief of a people wholly in sync with God, or justice fully shared or beloved community realized once and for all. The story of Moses' discipleship begins in curiosity. By the end of his life, he'll have experienced more fully that to follow God is to share in God's heartbreak. And sometimes it is to feel even that we are being consumed. Because to follow God means not just noticing folks passively, not just seeing folks at a passing glance, but actively and personally responding, turning aside and attending to the broken places in our world. And there are, of course, lots of examples of how we can do that. But just as one that comes to mind for me on this day before Labor Day, as we're heading now toward the end of what has been an extremely hot summer for much of our country and our hemisphere, aligning our lives with God's life in this context, aligning our lives with this God who sees and hears and knows and responds means for us more than passively watching videos or hearing stories about severe weather events whether they're heat waves or storms or wildfires or floods or famines. It means responding personally and actively, both with our gifts of compassion and charity, donating through the United Methodist Committee on Relief, of course, for example, but it also means, uncomfortable as it is for us, it also means going deeper. It means noticing. It means acknowledging that the increasing frequency of severe weather events has not come out of nowhere. In fact, folks have been predicting exactly what we are experiencing now for decades, warning us about the dangers of our overconsumption. And so responding faithfully in this moment calls forth from us more than charity. It calls for us to see oppression as God sees it. Not to turn away just because we happen to live in a place that isn't experiencing the impacts nearly so harshly as others, but instead giving attention to where the hurting is happening. It calls us to hear cries of injustice as God hears, to acknowledge that the impacts of our climate crisis have been terribly, terribly sinfully unequal, and in fact those who are least responsible are bearing the brunt of the damage. It calls us to know others' pain as God knows it, to stretch beyond ourselves, to act in solidarity with those who are living now with their backs against the wall. And it calls us to respond with God, to change our lifestyles in very fundamental ways, from our transportation to our technology, even from our clothes to our food, to change our lifestyles in order to set all people and all creation free. Following Jesus in the way he describes in today's gospel means personal change, and it means continually being set on fire with God's love, having our love rekindled again and again, set ablaze by God's justice and love. 
Maybe Moses had a hunch about all of this, even at the outset, even as he was taking off his sandals and hiding his face from the power of God's almighty presence. As soon as this burning for justice, God tells Moses what his role will be. Moses, if you notice, starts making excuses immediately, trying to wriggle out of his uncomfortable call. We heard two of those excuses today. Two more come right after this story, all within the same conversation with God. I am not enough, Moses says, and I don't know enough. And then people won't believe me, and I'm not equipped for what you're asking me to do. Finally, as we get to the middle of chapter 4, Moses cuts right to the chase. Please, he says to God, just send someone else, whoever else. I just don't want it to be me. And yet, of course, God sticks with Moses all the way. God doesn't, after the third or the fourth or the fifth or the sixth excuse, say to Moses, never mind, you're right, Moses, I don't know what I was thinking. Go ahead, put your sandals back on, you can keep walking. No, no, instead, this glowing fire full of love, God says, go and I will go with you. It isn't going to be easy for you. It isn't going to be easy for me either. It's going to hurt to care this much. It's going to hurt to try this hard and to commit ourselves together to this world-transforming work. But that's love, friends. Love doesn't give up. No, love accompanies and shares burdens, and love does what needs to be done in ourselves and in our communities to set folks fully free and to show them again and again what a life lived in love of God and neighbor really can be. So let's do this, God says to Moses. Let's build beloved community together. God would not and God could not be distracted by Moses' excuses, no matter how fast and furiously they came. Because Moses wasn't just saying no to God in these moments, he was saying no to God's people. They were the reason that Moses was being called. They were the ones to whom Moses was saying today, I'm not, and I don't, and I can't, and I won't. And, and I have to wonder if that didn't break God's heart even a little more. Not just to see people oppressed and to hear their cries of injustice and to know their pain, but now, now to hear Moses say, not my problem. Yet still, God's burning love won't be extinguished. And by the end of this encounter, a chapter and a half mostly filled with Moses' excuses, finally, finally Moses will find his own heart burning and broken because God's unquenchable desire for us to live more fully and to love more completely isn't an easy thing. It isn't a weak or a dull or a passive thing. Indeed, when Jesus comes along and reveals God's love to us most decisively, you'll recall he doesn't show us that love in something that calms, but in a cross. Not by calling down revenge on his enemies or by hurting those who hurt him, but in forgiveness and self-giving love. And so to follow this same Jesus we are told in today's gospel, to follow this God of unending love and justice into a fuller way of life, we must say no to ourselves. We must deny our self-centeredness and our self-preservation. We must take up our cross and walk with Jesus the way of love. In Romans chapter 12, the Apostle Paul there writes that we should be ardent, that we should be on fire in the Spirit, that our love should burn like God's. And then he goes on to detail what such a, a burning love will do. Be the best, he says, at showing honor to each other. 
This is the common English Bible translation. He says, be happy in your hope and and stand firm when you're in trouble and devote yourselves to prayer. These are tangible calls, tangible responses of love. Contribute to the needs of God's people and welcome strangers into your home. Bless people who harass you. Bless and don't curse them. Be happy with those who are happy. Cry with those who are crying. Consider everyone as equal and don't think that you are better than anyone else. Associate with people who have no status, and to the best of your ability, live in peace with everyone. Romans 12, it's like a companion piece to 1 Corinthians 13, that love chapter, showing us what love is like, what what God's love is like, unquenchable love, love that never ends. Love that has the power to defeat evil with good and to keep us burning in the spirit every day. It's Romans 12, 9 to 21. And I would encourage you to read it sometime, maybe later today, maybe later this week. Romans 12, 9 to 21. Keep it in front of you. It's a wonderful thermometer or a wonderful thermostat, if we'll let it be, to keep us on fire with God's love. Check in with yourself in the days to come. We know God's love still is burning, but how about ours? Whose oppression are we seeing? Whose cries of injustice are we hearing? Whose pain are we sharing? And what are we doing? What are we learning? And what are we offering to respond? Or in a rush to move on and to get on to the next thing on our busy schedules, are we instead putting on our sandals and pretending that we never noticed that bush, that we never heard that call, that we never took up that cross, that we never wondered what sort of God loves like this? By God's grace, may we have the courage, may we have the heart to burn with God's unquenchable love. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to this edition of the United Methodist Church of Kent Sermon Podcast. For more information about the church, visit www.kentmethodist.com.